of Little History. I'm James Faulkner. This is my dad. Yes, it is. So, for today's episode, the question is, why does the United States only have two major political parties? Because when you look at Europe, there are coalitions. In China, there's only one party, the Communist Party. So we're going to be talking about why that is. Yes, we are. And what we actually found out is there have been lots of different parties. We'll cover those off. Um, and the path to the two-party system that we had have today mm. isn't quite what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. But what I actually enjoyed most about this particular topic is learning that there was some absolutely insane stuff mm. that happened at the beginning, at the birth of the United States. Yeah. Some some total lunatics. <laughs> and And they make out like... The founding fathers were these very oh, noble yes. geniuses who all thought the same thing. They glorified so much in schools, but really they're, they were just like the politicians and candidates we have today. It's constantly arguing and trying to get at each other. Well, yeah, and if they disagreed with each other, maybe kill each other. Yeah. That's kind of interesting, but just the, the, the sniping and the accusations, it was... Point scoring. It's fantastic. Oh, yeah. I loved it. It's like Juicy. A, it's like a big soap opera. All right. So, so let's set a little bit of context before we get into the details of why there are only two major political parties in the US. Where are we in time? So we, we've gone all the way back to the birth of the United States. The British have just been defeated uh, in the War of Independence. And <laughs> rubbing your hands together. <laughs> And it's worth a moment here, so you can probably hear that James has an American accent, and I don't. Yes. I have I have an English <laughs> accent. James was born here in America. I'm a naturalised US citizen, so um, no we're one's got of, a, no one's got an axe to yeah. grind here. We're, we're, we're <laughs> kind of being pulled between two rivalries in history. So the British have been defeated, and uh, the American forces have been strongly supported by the French. And that does come into this a little bit later. Mm. And we've got our first president, that's obviously George, George Washington. Washington, with his wooden teeth. Did well, you know he had wooden teeth? I did. The Constitution's there, it's shiny and new. And like we said, the way the story's often told, the founding fathers of the nation are in total and harmonious alignment about how the country should be run. But that's not really what happened, Allegedly. Is it, yeah, allegedly. So what happened? No. So after the war, we know that the Founding Fathers signed the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. There were some that made lots of contributions and others who just did signatures. And right after, they decided how America should be run and what rights people have they start arguing about so many different things that they should have before they signed this. There are two factions. One believes that they should be close friends with Britain, and that doesn't make sense to a lot of people because they just fought a war. Yeah, they just had a war. To go away from the centralized government of Britain and also to just be free of British power and now we all of a sudden want to go back towards them. And then there's another party that wants to align with the French, since they were great allies during the war. Um, they played a big role in America's victory. And like, and now, 
Britain, which appears to enjoy war very much yeah. at the time, having just lost the War of Independence, there's now a crisis between Britain and France. Mm. And, and so the founding fathers are saying, like, I say this as someone with British heritage, but it does seem a little bit odd to me that having just been at war with Britain, so that some of the founding fathers said, you know what, we should support Britain, yeah. not France. France, who, who really helped us out a lot here. That That just... That doesn't seem very loyal to me. Does it <laughs> seem loyal to you? I mean, they seem I, yeah. like, it, it, it's like one of those scenes in a movies where somebody will say, oh, "I should join the separatists," and then they're like, "Oh, you sound you're talk, you sound like you're talking like a separatist traitor," and then later they find you find out then that he's the bad guy and he's behind all of it, and it's you're thinking of Star Wars, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, I am thinking of Star Wars, <laughs> but it, I mean. Britain was a huge colonial power. I mean, they're they're practically eating up continents, and their only foothold was the Americas. So what do you think's going to happen when America's like, okay, we're friends now, they let down their guard? Of course Britain's going to go back and take it, because they don't have any foothold in South America, barely any in the Caribbean, and none in North America, so... All right, so, so there's this big, big discussion going on but in the end George Wush George Washington (laughs) (laughs) George George Washington decides um, to stay neutral yeah and he just said you know what we're just we're just going to stay out of it which I'm sure pleased the French no end (laughs) (laughs) so okay what next um so he decides to stay nonpartisan since he doesn't really support the idea of this type of factionalism. So there we pay attention to kind of two big ideas, which kind of set the stage for the first parties to come. So the, some of the founding fathers believe that the United States needs a strong central government. It needs to be more national. Um, and others are saying... No, why are we going to do that? We just fought to get away from this idea, and they're afraid that's just going to turn into another version of Britain. So they form their own party and say, no, we should support France and we should support our state rights. Yeah, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? Because you've got these parties who've signed the Constitution, uh, these parties, these states who've signed the Constitution, they they left Britain because they were being persecuted, yeah. and they've now had a war to break free of Britain because they don't like the way things are run from Britain, the centralised power and the whole taxation without representation uh, malarkey. And then you can imagine that the guys who don't want a centralised government must be thinking, you know, what are you talking about yeah. when, you know, when someone yeah. like Hamilton... Um, comes rocking up and says, yeah. you know, let's have a centralised government, run it all from one thing, a federal government. You know, people must have just fallen yeah. off their chairs at that. But it's all, I must admit, it's surprising to me that, you know, given the whole context of of the war, that so quickly out of the gate you'd have someone who's saying, right, let's basically re- rebuild a centralised government, but instead of it being in Britain, it'll be here in, in the US. I, it just... I mean, I suppose that they just wanted to break away from Britain and have their own government, but they would seem like traitors. Um, But also, after this, George Washington is leaning towards the Federalists, but he's very 
cautious. He's still pretty neutral about how far he's going to go into the spectrum of federalism. Um, but I guess you, you kind of have to support the idea of a central government once you've written the Constitution, mm. because what you're really doing is saying that what's outlined in the Constitution and what's outlined in the Bill of Rights applies to all states and that an individual state doesn't have the right to say yeah. no. So so the very definition of a constitution requires that you have a central government. But right away, you've got this idea about yeah. the scope and, and the reach of the central government. And that's exactly what's still being discussed yeah. today in I politics. Mean, I mean, that's a massive problem with the states in America have probably the most independence than any other in the world and the problem is people are still arguing today about how far how much they should be able to decide what type of rules like whether they should be allowed to have guns or yeah and and if you if you're an advocate of states rights then you would say look the federal government can do what's written in the constitution and no more and i guess people who who favor more centralization of power are saying, well, as societies evolved, new topics have emerged yeah. that, that require us to think about what we want to do as a country rather than what each individual state wants to do. So yeah, it's it's yeah. It, it, it's interesting though to see this argument appear so quickly and so kind of emotionally right out of the gate. All right, so you've got the central government but we also have this other thing, don't we? This thing about banking. So, so tell us about mm. that and why that was yeah. important. So another big argument, especially the Federalists were the more who were trying to drive this in, was they should have a central bank that controls sort of all of the money nationally rather than like state banks. And of course, um, the Democratic Republicans are like, whoa, no, that's not in the Constitution. We're, we shouldn't do this. Well, I don't think the Democratic Republicans actually exist yet. Well, yeah, they don't exist. They're just anti-federalists yeah, at the this an, point, they're, they? Well, it's just their name, really. They're sort of like... Yeah, they're, but there's, yeah. there's no real party. It's actually kind of interesting because um, George Washington didn't even like the idea of parties. Oh, no. He, he'd warned against them and said, look, let's just let's try not to have political parties it's you know government by the people for the yeah. people but i think it's impossible as soon as you get two or three big ideas yeah. that people profoundly disagree on that parties will emerge just becomes very natural mm. and you can imagine though that when you have a central bank and again this was this this guy hamilton it was alexander hamilton who was the the big economist who was saying we need the central bank the central bank will take on all the debts of the individual states. And you can imagine if you're an individual state that doesn't want mm. to be under pressure to the centralized government, the idea of having the central government own your debt, mm. that feels like a pretty big thing to give up. But in the end, again, George Washington ended up supporting it, didn't he? Yeah. Again, he was careful about how far, but he supported it. He leaned to the Federalists. Okay. So, so even really early on, we've got these huge disagreements between the Founding Fathers about how the country should be run. Even on the 
the constitution that's just been written. So it's like they wrote it and then they give up. There's this amazing line that when they got to the to the forming of the constitution, Hamilton apparently um, wandered in and said, "Oh, let's just make George Washington president for life." He, yeah, he could be put into the non-contribution section <laughs> when it came to the Constitution. Yeah, it was a bit like... Um, He's just like, hey, George Washington's doing good. Just put him in for life. Yeah. So fighting against this, if if Hamilton is the face of this group that became known as the Federalists. Federalists are, we want centralized power, centralized bank, very pro-business and, and pro-banking. On the opposite side, you've got Jefferson, yeah. right? And Jefferson is all about states' rights. Hamilton supports Britain. Jefferson supports France. Hamilton's about centralization. Jefferson's about the states. And these two people with such incredible opposing views are two of Washington's closest advisors. So that must have been fun, right? And closest friends. He turns up to work every day and he's got these two guys who just disagree on absolutely it's everything. It's like in school when you're fr- when two of your best friends start arguing and they're like and they turn to you and you're like isn't that right James at the exact same time and you're like uh you just don't know what to do. I mean you don't want to let one down but you also don't want to let the other down by picking sides. So Washington gets pretty worried about that. Yeah. And um so why why is that? We've talked about the fact that you know he didn't really like the idea yeah. of political parties, but but what what does he see happening? I mean he he was literally nonpartisan, which means no party. He supported the system that said, "Hey, you have political ideals," and he warned about factions forming because he said that you know people start getting too extreme about it. It's going to split the country into in half. Um, but that's literally what he sees happening right now. Just after yeah. he says this, people automatically start disagreeing and factionalizing. And um, so what do we end up with? So, finally, we end up with Hamilton's group being called the Federalists and Jefferson's group being called the Democratic Republicans. And this all happened within 15 years of yeah. the Constitution being written. I wasn't taught this stuff at school. Because when you grow up in Britain, they don't like teaching you about the wars they lost. (laughs) We hear politicians saying things like, this is not what the Founding Fathers envisioned. This is not what the framers of the Constitution meant. And it's like, how do you know? It's what they were like. (laughs) You've got a whole group of individuals who who had different opinions on it, even while it was being written. I, I, I mean, George Washington was elected unanimously, but that was the only time it happened. Well, I, uh, uh, it, it was just a huge surprise to me to see that there was that degree of disagreement. Mm. Um, and there we go. We've, we've immediately got uh, our two-party system. And so our question is, why are there only two parties? And I must admit that when I first saw this, I thought that maybe... The Federalists and the Republican Democrats were what led to the two parties we have today. Yeah. But but that's not actually what happens, is it? No, not at all. All right, so what did happen? Well, the Federalist Party didn't last that long because they sort of 
undermined um, the lower class. They liked all of the educated people and the rich people and those who had the most skill. So they weren't very popular with a lot of the Americans who did farming jobs or worked at, like, pubs. Which was a really pubs. <laughs> well, I don't know. well, it was a really big part of yeah. the population. So Jefferson, um, Madison, they had they had this vision of a country, and this phrase keeps cropping up when we were doing the research of yeoman farmers. This mm-hmm. idea of noble people tilling the land, kind of a, an agrarian society, and Hamilton was this kind of slick urbanite who yeah. who they who, thought. He was a bit of a snob. Yeah. We were going to go straight on to the next part of our question here, but there is something so weird and cool that we do want to spend a few minutes on it. Hamilton, by this point, if the Federalists are out, he, he should be pretty much out of the story from this point on. Uh, but we learned that he was killed in a duel by a sitting vice president, which is nuts. So, what happened there, James? So, Hamilton, as a lot of politicians do, at least nowadays, or maybe, I don't know, how they always do, had a habit of picking fights with people who disagreed with him, spread rumors about him, just generally people who opposed him. And he wrote a newspaper newspaper article under a fake name about Jefferson. He spread many nasty rumors about him and actually said some things that were true. For example, he exploited the ongoing affair Jefferson had with one of his slaves. He was also really nasty to the vice president, Burr. Burr and Jefferson were just as bad as well. They spread terrible rumors about Hamilton. And Hamilton was having an affair as well, wasn't he? So it really does feel like modern politics. They were just point scoring at each other for everything they did wrong. What happened was Burr picked up on Hamilton spreading the rumors and he finally had enough so he said, listen, you've got to apologize because we're absolutely ruining each other. Um, well, you're ruining me. But Hamilton said, no, I'm not going to apologize because you're doing it too and I don't like you. Well, I did read this amazing thing about there was this series of letters going back and forth between okay. Aaron Burr and, um, and uh, Hamilton where Burr was saying, you have to apologize. And Hamilton was saying, well, I can't remember what I have to apologize for. Uh, What do you mean? I mean, I can't apologize for something if I don't know what it was. And Burr is saying, I've heard that it's bad, just apologize. And Hamilton's saying, I'm not going to apologize because I don't know what it is. And it is the most infantile back and forth. (laughs) Bear in mind, this is the vice president and the ex- Secretary of the Treasury, doing this over a series of letters until, in the end, Burr says, okay, well, the only way to settle this is by a duel. Mm. And Hamilton says yes. Ridiculous. It's completely... So they have to uphold their honour. Right, right. And it's completely insane, completely insane, by today's standards, or really by any standards, (laughs) duels were still alive and well at the time, they were actually on the cusp of being made illegal. So one really weird, kind of strange thing that happened here is when you do a duel, you have a second. A second is someone who kind of tags along with you, carries the gun, witnesses the duel. But because 
duels were so kind of on the edge of mm. being legal, the seconds actually turned their backs and looked away during the duel so that they could say, I didn't see anything. Absolutely crazy. Also true, they were sometimes almost symbolic. So yeah. it, 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 there's this ridiculous idea of satisfying honour. And so often people would turn up to a duel, they would get their guns and they'd shoot into the ground or they'd just shoot into the air. Yeah, just And right. then it's like, okay, well, you fired your gun, I fired my gun. I guess I didn't insult you anymore or I guess you're not offended anymore. It, mm. It's the dumbest thing. And anyway, but that's not quite how this one played out, yeah. is it, James? So Hamilton made this whole elaborate statement about how he was going to participate in the duel, but how he didn't think it was a Christian and moral thing, and he was going to, like you said, shoot his gun into the ground. Now you might think that would work with Byrne. He'd say, oh, turns out he doesn't hate me that much. I might shoot my gun into the ground as well. But Hamilton must have just had a really bad day because he kept teasing Burr, like kept nagging at him. He was cleaning his glasses, aiming up the sights, making sure the gun was loaded, and then he shot right over his head. And then Burr was like, oh, and shot him. It ricocheted off his pelvis, hit his false rib, went straight through his liver, and instant death. Not instant death, right? Not instant death. I think he, he, but I do think, yeah. Pretty much instant death. Did kill him. But it's just amazing that the, yeah. the pettiness to kind of show up and yeah, uh, and look, we we only kind of read this in from one source, so it might not be quite right. But given how petty everything else had been oh. with the back and forth on the letters, and it's kind of the the nineteenth century equivalent of saying, "I know you are, but what am I?" Oh. And um, sounds like that kid in the playground who's just like, "Oh, you don't have any evidence that I spread that rumor. What are you gonna do about it? Tell the yes. teacher, and you just want to punch him in the face." <laughs> well, I think Burr did um, that and more because uh, he shot and killed him, and uh, for the second time running, they did with a gun. <laughs> they did with a gun, just like Franz Ferdinand. So now the Federalists are gone. And mm -hmm. Hamilton's dead. So we're back to a one-party system with the Democratic Republicans and Jefferson? I mean, for a little bit we are. Of course, there are always going to be people who disagree. Um, so before not too long, the Democratic, Repu the Democratic Republican Party split and there were two parties again. The person who disagreed this time was Andrew Jackson, who split off from the main party to form the Democratic Party. The remainder called itself the Whigs. Now, the Whigs, they weren't called the Republicans, but they were pretty much the Republicans. Um, so the Whigs and the Democrats were the two main parties for 25 years, and then the Whig Party dissolved into the Republican Party. It sounds to me now we actually have one party called the Democratic Party and one party called the Republican Party, so maybe we're at the beginning of, of where we end up today. Yeah. But before we get on to that, let's just spend a couple of minutes on a segue about what an absolute loon Andrew Jackson was. Now, he was a hard-drinking gambler with a penchant for violence. He absolutely detested the British from his experiences in, in the Revolutionary War. But what else, James? Tell us about some of his craziness. I mean, I think you described him perfectly as a lunatic. Andrew, Aaron Burr had one, as far as we know, one jewel. 
He had, allegedly, many as hundreds. He shot a man to death in a duel over a horse race. And he's like this monster. There was one time this man called Charles Dickinson was in a duel with him. He shot him and hit him in the shoulder. And Andrew Jackson just got back up like nothing happened and shot him dead. <laughs> right in square in the forehead. Oh my god. He invited 20,000 people as his first act as the president. He had an open White House where he had he put out tons of barrels of whiskey and had more less of a party but more of a political burning i mean it was <laughs> it's more like a i would say it's more of a like a just a, a state sponsored like i'm trying to find a way not demolition to say piss derby <laughs> um and they absolutely ruined the white house he beat up a lunatic assassin who thought he was the king of England. When he left, he left. He had to leave the White House through a window in another massive party of ten thousand people because the White House had given out one thousand four hundred pounds of cheese. He, he didn't trust the banks or money and thought people should only do business in silver and gold. He was an interesting fellow. So, so let's go back to the to the fourteen hundred pound piece of cheese. This was a gift to him, and apparently he had a real effort to to try and basically eat as much cheese as he could. Um, <laughs> I think fourteen hundred pounds—that's pretty close to a ton of cheese. Which it, it's just not a practical gift. No, it's like, hey, I like you so. I mean, I'm not even sure that's something you give to someone that you like. Um, cheese of all things. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like it, you a ton it sounds, of cheese. Sounds like the Netherlands. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, I would like to give you some cheese. Some cheese. <laughs> and um, uh, by the way, we're allowed to say that because my wife is Dutch, James's mum is Dutch. Yes. Um, and that's exactly how they talk. Uh, so anyway, he gets a fourteen hundred pound piece of cheese, and thinks, you know, I can't eat all of that. Does his best for a while. And then says, I'm having another party. 10,000 people show up and eat this piece of cheese in two hours. I mean, it's ludicrous. Anyway, clearly presidential material. Um, very popular because he was great in battle. He had a very strong vision about what America should be, which uh, unfortunately was uh, drawn along very racial lines. And it set him in complete opposition to the Republican Party. Mm. The Republican Party then was far more progressive at the time. They were the ones who were seeking an end to slavery. They were the ones who were driving a heavy modernization agenda. Uh, so it, it really wasn't the Democratic Party. Yeah, it's almost as if they today. switched. Well, I, I, think that, I think that's a tough to argue with given some of the current policies. It's Indeed. hard to argue that some of the current policies from Trump's Republican Party aren't racist. Um, but that's not really our yeah, that, that's not what we're this, trying to in this get uh, podcast. Here. But it's know. just that that Democratic Party was not today's oh, Democratic no, no Party. Way. But since then, since that time where you've got this splintering and now you have a, a Democratic Party and a Republican Party, either the Republican or the Democratic candidate has won every single presidential election. Yeah. Um, there's just not much point being aligned with any other party if you want to have a fair crack at it. But we discovered that even though there's this two-party system, there have been other parties, right, James? So what's the scoop yeah. with them? I mean, 
there have been a lot of small parties. There's been the Nullifier Party, the Anti-Masonic Party, the Liberty Party, Free Soil Party, the Know-Nothing Party, mm-hmm. the Union Party, the Southern Rights Party, the Radical Democracy Party, the Prohibition Party, Equal Rights Party, the Greenback Labor Party, the Socialist Party, the Populist Party. There was a Communist Party in the 20s and going on to the 40s. Um, the Peace and Freedom Party, and, of course, nowadays we have the Libertarian Party, the Green Party, and the Constitutionalist Party. That's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, and as much as I feel like the Anti-Masonic Party and the Know-Nothing Party might be worth a good look, maybe, uh, in the future, why haven't any of them stuck? Why, why do we still just have the same old two? Well, of course there are a lot of little parties, but they... The Republican and Democratic Party, at least today, run on more left and right policies, whereas with a smaller party like the Green Party, they run on a pro-environmentalist stance. It's very specific ideas. Yeah, I mean, if you call yourself the anti-Masonic Party, besides being anti-Masons, I wonder what else your policy platform might be. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, I, you know, I also think it's true that the Republicans and the Democrats over time, they've absorbed the money, they're in the public domain, so oh, they're yeah. very well known, people naturally lean towards them. And I think they also absorb emerging popular ideas. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the Republican Party today, there's the remnants of what was called the Tea Party, um, very kind of pure constitutionalist, states' rights um, uh, kind of movement. There's what people call the religious right, uh, so Mm -hmm. sort of the evangelical wing of the Republican Party. There's fiscal conservatives. There's kind of clusters of of somewhat discrete political ideas. Um, And the Democratic Party, which has been very kind of centrist and um, pro-market forces, maybe shifting to the left now with more progressive ideas like free university education and and free health care for all. So so those ideas that maybe in the past might have spawned a third party seem to just be absorbed into one of the two big parties. I think it's possible that... You know, you might get a third party that, that yeah. could emerge. But even if it did, as it started to get a little bit of traction, I wonder if it wouldn't just be absorbed yeah. anyway into either the Republican or the Democratic Party. So uh, what do you think? Have we have we answered our question about why there are only two parties? I mean, I, I do. You've covered almost the entire political history of America. Briefly. <laughs> I, I, briefly, but... <laughs> I think we've um, jumped over we, we quite jump, a lot. Yeah, we... Um, but I think it's really interesting because we start with a nonpartisan system which says, hey, if you're eligible and you have some political ideals... You mean eligible. Eligible, sorry. And you have some good political ideals, then of course you can be a candidate, have your own campaign, to almost always to massive factions that absorb other smaller third parties every time they get traction. There's nothing inherently better about having multiple parties in Germany where you've got like four, five, mm. six powerful parties. 
you always have a coalition government. And on the one hand, that can stop potentially, I guess it, it can stop one party having too much power yeah. or an extremist party implementing, you know, a whole set of policies without any kind of opposition. But it also dilutes everything. Yeah. Um, every policy has to be watered down because you'll have to compromise with another oh, yeah. party to, to get them to work along with you. So I agree. I think we've answered it. And I really enjoyed learning about some of the craziness along the way. Oh, yeah. I'm sure there was much more. But just Andrew Jackson, the Hamilton, Bird, Jefferson... Fuels. Fiascos. Um, and I think probably the biggest surprise for me has been the degree to which the Founding Fathers are so venerated Yeah, today. glorified. Yeah, it's like they're like little mini-gods who, who never made a mistake, who never disagreed with one another. But it wasn't like that. No. They, they were suspicious of each other. They were politically ambitious. They were manipulative. I mean, not all of them, but, but it was just the normal... Yeah. The normal political bargaining and, and gambits that we um, see going on today. And actually the thing that, Im, that really emerged out of this for me was that despite all of that, despite their fears, their skepticism, their suspicions of each other's, they were uh, still able to come together and create the Constitution. I think that's yeah. the lesson, is that these people who didn't trust each other sometimes at a profound level, who had totally different visions of how the country should be run, were actually able to come together and agree on a system and and agree to adhere to mm. the system. And I think that's um, an amazing testament to how clever they were, how brave they were, and the fact that with all of that mutual suspicion, they were able to implement what is still today a unique and incredibly successful form of democratic government, I think is is unbelievable yeah. and, and it's just incredible. But I will tell you, the next time I hear any modern politician say this is not what the Founding Fathers intended, I think the question should be which one? Because <laughs> um, they... They were individuals, and yeah. they all thought about things differently. All right, so I think we've done that question well enough, at least well enough for us. Yes. Um, which may not be well enough for anybody else. <laughs> so if people do think that we've made mistakes, they should uh, contact us. Please do. We'd like to hear about it on uh, our Twitter handle, which is at history underscore little, or in our email, uh, which is littlehistorypod at gmail.com. So, James, yes. it's your choice next time. What are we going to do? Next time... Is it exciting? Our question... Are you excited? Yes. I'm excited. Next time... What is it, though? Next time... Okay. Next I'll time... I'll be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> next time, our question will be why the Ottoman Empire was so weak um, by the time World War I rolled around when it was at the epicenter of all of the oil and resources in the Middle East. Oh, that sounds weighty. So they'd been incredibly powerful. How come they weren't a force yes. to be reckoned with in the First World War? What caused the fall of the Ottoman Empire? Oh, I like that. It's pithy. Yes. Snappy. That's it. What caused the fall of the Ottoman Empire? All right. Good. Excellent. Anything else from you? Uh, no. 
No, I think that's a wrap. There's nothing else from me. Shall we say goodbye? Yes. Bye. Bye. Bye.